Psalm 126, Psalm 126, which we'll read together. It's a song of ascent, so it's a song that the Israelites would sing as they were going up to the uh, city of Jerusalem, up to the temple for the feast days, and they would literally ascend into Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on a mountain, so as the pilgrims would come into the presence of God, they would come singing, and they would sing all of these songs of ascent, including this one. Uh, Psalm 126. We're going to read the entire psalm, but our focus will be especially on verse 6. So Psalm 126, hear the word of God. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, who were like men, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. And then our text. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. That's for the reading of God's holy word. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you recognize this psalm from, or maybe some of you do. That's the thing about getting older, right? Not everybody remembers the things that you remember, but some of us, I hope, still remember uh, Little House on the Prairie, that TV show. And you'll remember whenever they cut to the congregation at worship in uh, the church there, nine times out of ten, they were singing the same song, if my memory is correct. And that song was bringing in the sheaves. They were bringing in the sheaves, of course, uh, as farmers, as those who were being blessed. And it is this uh, psalm that they were singing, this psalm of the Lord's blessing upon the labors and the crops that they sowed in faith before the Lord. And that's, of course, what we're about tonight. We're looking forward to the blessing that the Lord will bestow upon the labors and the crops that we sow before His face and for His glory. And as a congregation, as an agricultural, certainly, community, we are familiar with our need for the Lord's blessing upon our crops and labor. We have a, a keen appreciation that there are aspects of our work that are far beyond our control. Maybe folks in big cities don't necessarily recognize that or appreciate that the way that they ought. They, of course, might have a, a somewhat more mechanical view of things. And, and what I mean by that is, is that you just do certain things and as a result, other things happen. It's sort of like a machine. You go to work, you put in your hours, you punch in, you punch out. At the end of the week or whatever, you get a paycheck that you can deposit in the bank and then you go to the store and you buy your money or you buy your food rather. That is, that you don't really need any kind of blessing. You don't need to come before God and ask for Him to bestow upon you a blessing. You just need to go to work. You just need to do your part. You just need to make careful and wise decisions. And in a mechanistic world, because our world doesn't believe God exists, our world doesn't believe that God has to bless the crops. That's a product of climate change. That's a product of the Big Bang Revolution or whatever other theory you want to have. That really things happen the way they do because they've always happened the way that they do because that's the world in which we live. 
But we know that that's not the case. And the farmers among us know that maybe most keenly, though not solely, because they know that as they put the crops into the ground or as they, as they plant their, their, their trees or their, their flowers or whatever kind of farming they do, that there needs to be a blessing they cannot provide. Oh, they can till the ground as well as they can. They can plant the seed perfectly. They can per- produce the, the, or put on the, the, the land the, the, the uh, fertilizer that it needs for the season. They can do everything perfectly right. But we've had seasons in the past too where the crop was put in, but it got washed out because of the rains. Or it was put in and there was no rain. It stayed dry for far too long. We had a year like that a couple of years ago. We know that there are aspects to our work that are beyond our control, that we can do nothing about. And that makes us a little more dependent. That makes us a little more reliant upon the Lord and upon His grace. Or it ought to. One of the challenges we have, especially in the affluence of our culture and of our day, is that things seem to go very well for the most part. Even that year that we had such a dry summer where things didn't seem to go well to start with, and our expectations for the harvest were very low, and some did in fact suffer a great deal and maybe didn't even collect a harvest that year. Yet for many of us, we were surprised at how bountiful the harvest was. And maybe then we held our breath for a time, but we just sighed in relief at the end, thinking, well, it's not so bad. You know, Pioneer has produced a rather good grain or good seed or whatever company. Genetics has made it a little bit better and isn't life grand. But what we should learn is that in the moments of our dependence upon those things beyond our control, and indeed even in the times of great blessing. Our focus should be on the Lord and upon His grace in Jesus Christ. And that's what this text is all about. A text that begins rather oddly. He goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow. Let's go back now for a moment. Let's leave the modern world that has a lot of advantages that they didn't have in the days of the psalmist. Let's go back all the way to the days of this psalm, this particular psalm, and let's follow this farmer for a moment as he carries upon his back a sack filled with grain, with seed, and as he weeps. And let's ask him, why are you weeping? Not why would we be weeping, not why do we think he's weeping. Why is he weeping? Why is this man in the mind of the psalmist weeping? Well, it would help to know, I think, as the psalm indicates, that this was written after the Israelites came back from exile. So they'd been sent to Babylon. And the Lord brought them back. That's how the psalm begins. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with shouts, songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we were filled with joy. It is an amazing story, of course, the restoration of the church to Zion. They had been sent into captivity because they were wicked, because they had rebelled against the Lord so many times, and the Lord in His anger cast them out. But He did tell them, of course, before they left that they would come back, that they would come back in 70 years. Now, they maybe forgot that. That's a possibility. 
Or maybe they thought that, but they didn't know how it would happen. And it happened in such a remarkable way, didn't it? Cyrus, all of a sudden, the king of Babylon, the king of all the world, you might say, the most powerful man on the earth, decided, you know what, I'm going to send those Jews back to Jerusalem. And I'm going to give them money and material so that they can rebuild their temple. It was beyond expectation. No one could have expected that that's what was going to happen. They may have thought that they would have escaped or that some other enemy would have overtaken the kingdom and they would have had crawl back. They could have thought all sorts of things, but could they have imagined that Cyrus would have said, go back and here's what you need in order to make your, your, your life there successful? No wonder the, the, the psalmist says we were like men who dreamed our tongues were with, filled with songs of joy. It was too remarkable to believe. But you see, now that they're back to Jerusalem, they're confronted with a bit of reality. The temple has been destroyed. There's nothing there. There's not a lot of people living and if in the area, and if they are, they're living outside of Jerusalem. They're living in the fields. And the fields haven't been tilled. They haven't been farmed for very long. That's why in verse 4, he says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Streams in the Negev. The Negev was a desert. But all of a sudden, there would come this torrent of water, and the desert would bloom. It would be this lush and beautiful place again. And so that describes for us what Israel was like for these returned exiles. It was like a desert. There wasn't this regular economy, this constant developing and working of the soil and of the land. There was nothing. There was no backup. There was no extra. There was no insurance. There was no safety net. These people had come back with whatever they could carry. The seeds that this man is about to sow were the seeds that they had carried back from Babylon. And it was probably the seeds, some of the seeds, as John Calvin suggests, that they would have used for their food. Which is to say that as this farmer now begins to fill his, his, his bag with seed to sow, he's probably having to take some of their future food in order to do this. The family's going to have to tighten their belts a little. Things are going to have to get a little bit tough. And the truth is, there was no backup. There was, if this didn't go well, and it was a real possibility, wasn't it? The land may not bear forth its harvest. They may sow it. Enemies may come. They were very vulnerable. A drought, a storm, whatever may ruin it. Again, remember, these are people unlike us. They don't have crop insurance. They don't have a very vibrant economy around them. They don't have a welfare state to protect them. If this doesn't work, if this harvest doesn't come to pass, or if this harvest comes but it's robbed, it's taken from them, the family will suffer profoundly. The family may well die. Now put, your, put yourself in this man's shoes as he scatters his seed upon the field. He's having to let go of everything. He's having to let go of his security. He's having to let go of his food, of his family's food. And he's having to hope. Hope that this will end well. That this will bring blessing to them. Can you begin to appreciate this man's tears? We, it is challenging for us. I do think maybe our, our farmers do have an analog there. They have a comparison there because so often in even our farming, 
you have to outlay a significant amount of capital and, and you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. You think of this year particularly with gas prices and how that impacts the, the model, the economic model of the farm. It's challenging. Having to pay all that money out and not certain, maybe not uncertain about the, 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 the uh, harvest, but, but uncertain, will the price for grain, will the price for corn be enough to be able to pay my debts? There's a certain fear their anxiety maybe not to the same degree as this man experienced but nonetheless a certain fear will it be blessed and we all have that on i think on some level maybe we can think and continue in this idea of finances and of business you can imagine a young man starting out and and putting all of his capital into his business and hoping that his business is successful. A young couple buying a new house, let's say if they can manage and scrape together enough to put down a down payment and their, and their mortgage payments are just about all that they can pay and, and all of a sudden our economy has a downturn, the interest rates go up and they're suddenly faced with the reality that they can't pay their bills anymore. You can imagine that that would create anxiety, that would create fear, that would create trouble. And not just that, you can think of health concerns. Think of a family that's going through a, a trial where their, the husband, the provider, is suddenly struck down with some kind of an illness. What, what will we do? How will we be provided for? How will we succeed? There are all sorts of examples, aren't there, of moments where our future is uncertain, where we don't have a guarantee, at least not a rock-solid guarantee, that things are going to work out well. And then we're called to surrender. And then we're called to really concretely, in a way that probably we aren't familiar with in other circumstances, to put our life in the hands of God. You see, when things are going well, we know that we should put our life in the hands of God. We know that that's the way that we talk that way. We talk about total surrender. We talk about giving ourselves over to the Lord. But it really is those moments, isn't it, of trial that, that really challenge us to do that. Indeed, isn't that our experience? How often haven't we heard said, how often haven't you experienced or I experienced those moments of great trial? That in those moments we are most keenly dependent upon God. Then our prayers suddenly have a new vibrancy. Then our worship has a new response. Then our sense of God's presence and our dependence upon him suddenly increases there is in a sense then something good isn't there about tears there's something good about learning that we are not secure in ourselves there's something good about about those moments of trial where we thought life was just what was gonna what we thought it was gonna be what we planned it to be but God suddenly says no I have a new direction for you a new way for you to go it's a terrifying moment but in that moment we find ourselves having to rest more fully in God and when we do that when we find ourselves willing to surrender then we find ourselves in a place of great joy. See, that's, isn't that what the psalm says? He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, and this is a word about surrender. This is a word about giving ourselves over to the Lord totally and completely. will return with songs of joy, 
bringing in the sheaves, carrying sheaves with him. There's a bit of a, 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 a smushing together of time here, right? The sower's gone out to sow. Obviously, he can't right away come back carrying sheaves with him. So we're putting together the year, the, the growing season here. He's gone out to sow, and now he has depended upon God, waited upon the Lord, looked to God for help and strength, and now the Lord has provided. Now the crop has returned 30, 60, 100 fold. And now he carries these sheaves home to his wife and children to rejoice. See, see the blessing that we've received. And understand, it would have been a very profound blessing. Again, for someone in this circumstance who was giving up everything, to see then a return would have been more than just, hey, this is great, you know, the land, it was good, and it produced the harvest. This would be security. This would be health. This would be a future and a hope. This would be daughters being allowed to get married. This would be so many blessings in an agrarian economy like this. It wasn't just that they had food. It was that all of these added blessings would flow to the family as a result. You could see why this man would come home rejoicing, why his mouth would be filled with joy as he sings the praises of his God for the blessing that he's received. And it is a blessing from God. Again, our world doesn't understand this. Our world lives in such a poor, such an impoverished reality. Our world doesn't know that God exists, that there's this spiritual reality to this world, that there are angels and demons and all the rest. It doesn't know that God is watching over the creation, sending the sun in its circuit, as Psalm 19 says. It doesn't know that God watches over his children. But the church does. The church does. The Old Testament church certainly did. You have to be impressed as you read through the Old Testament how the Lord imprinted upon his people's mind a connection between his faithfulness and the abundance of their crops. Sometimes that may confuse us. Health and wealth preachers make a great deal out of this and they misunderstand it completely. It was a picture of God's faithfulness. That's what the Lord was communicating. Think about in Deuteronomy where the Lord lists all the blessings and all the curses for covenantal obedience and covenantal disobedience. And the blessings are material blessings. Indeed, Mount Hermon in in Israel was itself a constant picture of how the Lord was dealing with his people. If it was lush and green, then God was showing them favor. If it was barren and dry, his people had rejected him and were suffering the consequences. Indeed, how often don't we see that? Think about Elijah going into the courts of King Ahab. It won't rain until I say. That bronze sky, that dry earth, was a call from God for his people to repent. Just as the bountiful provision, that rain when it came, that small cloud that Elijah saw on Mount Carmel and then he ran in front of the rain, just as that provision of blessing was a testimony of God's faithfulness, of God's power, of God's glory. When the Lord blessed the land, the people were blessed. And he blessed the land 
when they trusted in him. That's what covenantal obedience is all about. Covenantal obedience, this is where the health and wealth guys get it wrong, is not about earning anything with God. You can't do enough to get blessing from God. You can't be righteous enough to ensure that your business, your farm, your family, your health is going to be good. We sometimes fall into that temptation, of course. God, I promise if you deliver my loved one from this, I will, and then we make our deal with God. We can fall into that mentality. Lord, I promise I'll never do it again. Don't curse me. I'll never do it again. The Lord doesn't deal with us that way. What He desires from us is our trust, our confidence in the Lord, our thanksgiving to God. He wants us to surrender our lives fully to Him. Isn't that exactly what Jesus taught? Isn't that how Jesus dealt? Even with those that wanted to follow Him for the wrong reasons. What did He say to those two disciples that said, I'm going to come, but not yet. I, I, have, to, I have some business to deal with it. No, leave it behind. Put your hand to the plow and go. Well, I have to bury my father. Well, let the dead bury the dead. Whoever loves father, mother more than me is not worthy of you. Remember all of these passages. These passages that teach us that the call of God is to a complete trust and confidence in him. That's what the Lord desires of us. That's what every parent desires of their child. That their child say, I love you and I trust you. And I desire to live in fellowship with you. That's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to purchase us from our sins, that we may be restored to a right relationship with him, that we might live in praise of his name. So God doesn't say, listen, if you earn it, if you do it right, if your farming techniques are perfect, if your spiritual life is pure, if your obedience to me is just so, then I'll bless your crops and your labor. Oh, he knows we're sinners. He knows that we falter more than we succeed. He knows that we are foolish and short-sighted and all sorts of things. That's why he sent Jesus Christ. That's why he promised salvation from the beginning. He knew his people couldn't earn it. So he says, I'll earn it. I'll do all that's necessary to ensure your blessing. Just trust me. Walk with me. Look to me. Love and serve me. And that's what we're called to do as well. Not because we'll gain something by it. Again, that's the temptation. That's the challenge. I'll do this if. I'll go to church if. And you discover that that's what you're thinking when things don't go well. And you say, but, but I've been doing all of these good things and it's not working. I've been so nice to my wife and she's still not nice to me. I've been, I've been trying so hard in my business, but it's just not succeeding. But that's not why we do things. The reason we do things is because we want to glorify God. Because we want to praise Him. Because we recognize that all of our blessing is dependent upon His faithfulness, His steadfast love in Jesus Christ. And so when this farmer in our psalm comes back home carrying sheaves with him, what he's really carrying is the proof positive that God in Jesus Christ is blessing him. He may not have understood that. I understand that we're reading our gospel back into this text on some level. But that is what the text is saying. 
that God's covenantal faithfulness, which faithfulness is rooted in Jesus Christ, is the basis for this man's blessing. So as he comes back, he comes back with the tokens, the symbols, the evidence that God has blessed him in Jesus Christ. And there's a challenge for all of us as we anticipate this coming season in our crops and labor. As we go forth in our work and as we seek to do all things to the glory of God, we can get sort of zeroed in, narrow in our thinking because there's a lot of practical issues you've got to deal with. There's bills to be paid. There's sales to be made. There's money to be invested in all of these things. And because we can get so narrow-minded in, act, in those activities, we can miss just how gracious and good our God is to us in Jesus Christ. And when we miss that, then we don't return with songs of joy. Then our success in business is not a cause for celebrating. Then our liberality, our generosity to others is not evident. Because why should it be? I've earned it. It's mine. But when we see the success that we enjoy as a gift from God in Jesus Christ, then we have reason to come to church on Sunday and praise Him because He's been so good to us. Then we have a reason to give in generosity to the Lord, to the deacons and their ministry, to all of those in need because the Lord has been so good to us. Our whole orientation, our whole perspective on life becomes extremely countercultural because we live in a society that doesn't see any of this. We live in a world that doesn't recognize any of this. Oh yes, they still are blessed. I understand that. And sometimes they are blessed more than we are, aren't they? Psalm 73 deals with that question, doesn't it? It talks about how the wealth and the health and the seemingly uh, trouble-free lives of the unbeliever is a challenge to the church who is struggling and, 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 and having to fight and, and, and serve in so many ways. But then what does the psalmist do? He comes into God's house and he sees. He sees the truth. But the blessing of God upon the church is more than, worth more than anything that the world can ever know. We're never going to compete with the world on a material basis. I mean, we can try, but we'll never win. But why even try? Why bother? Why not instead approach our work, approach our farming, approach our families as a, as a place to experience and enjoy the blessing of God in Jesus Christ. That when the Lord gives to us a life in the new child, that we say, God is good. That when the Lord blesses our crops in the fall and we're harvesting it, we say, God is good. That when we experience health and well-being, we say, God is good. That we say, the Lord is great. Then our hearts will be filled with joy. And then we'll sing about bringing in the sheep. Not because we have material wealth, but because we have a faithful God in Jesus Christ. Let's thank him for that in prayer. Gracious God and Father, your creation is for us a lesson, a lesson of your love. Lord, sometimes we miss it because we're so involved in, in soil quality, in seed quality, in rain amounts in light units. Help us to take a step back. Help us to come into your presence, into your house, and to be reminded each week, each 
Lord's Day, certainly. But the real blessing is not in the bounty, but in the giver. And help us to learn to rejoice, not in the amount of blessing, but rather in the presence of your love and grace towards us in Jesus Christ. Help us to show that in our generosity. Help us to show that in our worship. Help us to show that in our songs of joy. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.